You're watching Deprogrammed. My name's Harrison Pitt. I'm a writer for the European Conservative, and I'm happy to be joined this week, as ever, by Evan Riggs, who is a freelance journalist, and Rob Henderson, who is a recent PhD graduate from the University of Cambridge in psychology. Now, we, gents, we've, we've been at um, the National Conservatism Conference uh, this week. Uh, it's still ongoing at the moment, but um, it's made lots, lots of headlines. Um, but before we get into the in policy matters, we, let's talk about Rob's area of speciality. Um, you've coined this phrase, um, luxury beliefs. Can you explain to our viewers what that's all about? Right, so luxury beliefs, this is a, a, a framework I've developed. The definition is you know, luxury beliefs, ideas and opinions that confer status on the upper class while often inflicting costs on the lower classes. And there are multiple components to this, so just very briefly. Um, you know, the, the, for me, it starts with, uh, with a book that was written in 1899 by Thorsten Veblen, who was an economist and sociologist. He wrote this book called The Theory of the Leisure Class. And what Veblen wrote about uh, in the late 19th century you know, is his observations and analyses of, of class. Um, back then, people uh, measured status through luxury goods, through material goods. So they couldn't people, people couldn't necessarily be certain about the financial status of other people, so mm -hmm. a good way to size up their means is to see whether they could afford uh, expensive goods, whether they could um, uh, partake in expensive and time-consuming activities like golf and beagling. And these are sort of visible signals of wealth and status and prestige. Um, my claim is that today, uh, luxury goods and material um, uh, expressions of, of status, these are just noisier signals mm. of one's position on the, the class hierarchy. And you know, 100 years ago, if you walked through any major city uh, in the world, it was apparent who was rich and who was poor just sure. by how they looked. Yes. Today, it's a less reliable indicator just by how they're dressed, what, um, where, where they are on that, on that scale. And so now people express their luxury beliefs. Um, they express their uh, position on the status hierarchy through unusual and peculiar and fashionable ideas, opinions, habits, behaviors, tastes, customs, you know, whatever is sort of conventional and whatever sort of opinions are held by uh, ordinary people, a good way to uh, signal that you are not one of the ordinary people, not one of the masses, is to hold the opposite opinion or to hold uh, an opinion that it often makes very little sense at first, but you can, uh, if, if you've attended expensive universities and yes. listen to the right uh, podcasts, read the right books, and consume uh, sort of the, the proper and sophisticated uh, 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 media channels, then you can uh, sort of come up with the intellectual acrobatics necessary yes. to defend these unusual uh, luxury beliefs. So what are some of the beliefs then? Uh, well, uh, a notable... Uh, Recent example is uh, the defund the police movement. Okay, yeah, um, so it's gained, so gained some traction here, but mainly in American phenomenon. Right, this is yeah, this is uh, a lot of this analysis is based in, in the U.S., but uh, I mean a lot of it applies here to, to the U.K. And, and to the broader Western world as well. Um, so the defund the police movement gained a lot of uh, support during 2020, and there was a survey released uh, from YouGov in 2021. Uh, asking U.S. Uh, citizens, so it was a representative sample, uh, how what percentage of them supported the defund the police movement, and they broke it down by income category, and it was the highest income category in the U.S. that was the most supportive of the defund the police mm -hmm. movement, and the lower income categories were far less supportive of it. And to me, this is this makes sense. This is a this is a, a belief that confers status on the upper class. Mm -hmm. It makes you look sophisticated and compassionate and caring and, and interesting and, and progressive. Yeah, the forefront of history and right. social change. Right, and it's it's. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's shocking and strange and peculiar mm -hmm. and fashionable. Um, 
but it will inflict outsized costs on lower classes, on communities where policing has declined, where a yes. lot of police officers have uh, retired or, or left their jobs, or just the general sort of demoralization of the police has led to, to skyrocketing rates of, of crime in the US. And so the thing that makes them luxury beliefs, as opposed to just you know wacky or uh, crazy beliefs, mm -hmm. is that they only tend to be held by people who can afford who are sort of shielded from the consequences mm. of those beliefs gaining widespread traction. So, mm. you know, someone like Gary Lineker, for example, in this country, like, I think a very good example in this country of, luxu of luxury beliefs in action are the, the way in which, um, for example, lots of, um, uh, the vast majority of the, the sort of the asylum seekers coming through, mm. com coming, uh, coming across the channel, um, they're, they're sort of put, put, when they're put up in hotels, it tends to burden disproportionately poor communities. Like mm. th these people are not sort of encamped outside Gary Lineker's house. Mm. So he can afford to have that sort of luxury. Is there, would this be a, a good paradigmatic example of a luxury beliefs in action? He, because he lives in a sort of leafy suburb mm. in London, presumably, um, which is sort of untroubled by the sort of the social cost caused by unbridled mass migration. He can afford to signal his superior status and say, say I'm compassionate. I believe in open borders. I want mm. a, a John Lennon imagined style world. Uh, but if he were, were he living in Nosley, whether a couple of months ago there were some, some riots because very poor community, very impoverished community, extremely high, <coughs> extremely high rates of children on um, in, in broken families on, and on sort of free school meals, which is an indicator of low socioeconomic sta status. You know, it's the, the, the migration crisis is burdening those communities, not 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 the neighbourhoods in which Gary Lineker. Um, luxuriously lives. So that's what makes them luxury yeah. beliefs fundamentally as opposed to mistaken beliefs. So they, they may be mistaken as well, of course. This is a good, yeah, it's, it's a good example. There was a study, I want to say it was about 10 years ago, uh, on, on this question of uh, anxiety around immigration. And uh, what these researchers did, it was clever. They, you know, they, they asked this question, you know, why, why is there uh, differing levels of anxiety based on socioeconomic status where people sort of lower on the scale tend to be uh, less um, less supportive of immigration, mm. and you know they, they did these you know sort of uh, controlled studies where they asked uh, participants you know to to envision these scenarios in which you know immigrants are coming into the country. I think this was this was based in the U.S. and you know in in, in certain cases they would ask about high skilled immigration. You know imagine that there are large numbers of immigrants from from China and India who have advanced degrees in computer science and technology and so on. You know very. Uh, highly skilled white collar workers, and they're they're coming in by hundreds of thousands or millions into the U.S. Mm. and they'll start competing uh, for upper middle class jobs and offices and administrative roles and so on. And in this case, suddenly uh, the formerly uh, highly supportive um, proponents of mass immigration uh, declined uh, when yes. they were asked to envision yes. these scenarios. When suddenly uh, they viewed the immigrants, uh, you know, as economic competitors mm. rather than the sort of distant and abstract mm. uh, group. That uh, would live in other neighborhoods yes. and, and and wouldn't um, be uh, occupying the same same the roles in neighborhoods and circles as themselves. The, the conflict can also come to a head uh, with a bit of conservative mischief. So, for example, when Ron DeSantis sent that sort of uh, you know busload of illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, <coughs> very well, okay. that you know all of a sudden, all, and was it to Martha's Vineyard? Or was it to New York? He might have done both. He might might have been DC. But all of a sudden, the people who you know pride themselves on we're sanctuary cities, we're places where. Know, illegal migrants can sort of elude the authorities. That's effectively what a sanctuary city is. As soon as they actually have to reap the consequences of those incredibly uh, destructive policies, that they want nothing to do with them. Well, they just they just don't want them in their neighborhood. Yeah, I don't think the Martha's Vineyard migrants made it 48 hours, but <laughs> they had a pretty good run. Yes. Um, do you think so? We've touched on we've hit migration and defund the police. Can you think of any examples of luxury beliefs that are held predominantly by the right wing? I was about to ask that. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny. That's so, so when I was when I was still a student in Cambridge, I, I shared an office with with. Some, and this is when I was sort of developing this idea of luxury beliefs in, in twenty nineteen, early twenty twenty, and uh, you know my my. Uh, my friend and who shared the office was you know, more on the political left, and he, he I think he liked the idea of luxury beliefs, but uh, you know he would try to come up with some right wing versions of this. Mm-hmm. And one day he came in, he was like, "Trickle down economics. This is a right wing luxury belief." Mm. And I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting. You know, the trickle down economics idea that if you keep taxes low for the rich, then mm. somehow the the wealth that they accrue will will mm-hmm. trickle down and benefit um, people who are lower on the socioeconomic scale." Yes. Um, but the way that power laws tend to work, this isn't actually the case, right? Like th- in any kind of free market system, explain, because, explain power laws to people. Yeah, well, this is the, the, the sort of Pareto law, power law idea that in certain domains, especially the sort of freer and more in- interconnected the domain, the more um, the rewards tend to accrue to a very Small percentage of uh, the the people who are or so it's, it's involved. the opposite of a bell curve where people cluster around the average. Right, right, right. So, yeah. so this is you know like a case where you know, like the, the vast majority of the wealth is held by a small percentage mm-hmm. of the people. But you know this also uh, pertains to especially as I mean I don't know if you want to get into this. But <laughs> you know the, the <laughs> in, in terms of like the the romantic uh, realm as uh, relationships and, mm-hmm. and norms around that have sort of eroded. This has become a more free market system. Mm-hmm. It's to the point where a small percentage of of, of males especially are receiving the vast majority of uh, romantic attention mm. from women. But in any case, so the trickle-down economics idea, I think there's something to that that, um, you know, I, I, as, as I sort of listened to my friend explain it and thought more about it, I think, yeah, to some mm. extent, progressive taxation makes sense. Uh, probably other examples, too, but I think that's that's one that uh, that, that is um, notable. That is quite a good example. I mean, it, it's only really become, a, a, well, that's not completely true. It, it, Economic liberalism is certainly a, f- a facet of the rise, but it's, it, you could argue that trickle-down economics is a fundamentally liberal belief, just liberalism applied to the economic sphere. But it's, it, it's still one which is widely held by right-wing parties, and so that is actually quite a good example, I think, mm-hmm. uh, raised by your friend. Now, I think if you ask people, maybe you disagree, in 2015, what would become like the most predominant luxury belief in, our, in the wider culture, people would probably have said transgenderism, hmm. where there's a lot of people you know, in this kind of elite class who are open to things like transgender men in women's sports or women's bathrooms and then are themselves kind of insulated from a lot of it or mm-hmm. a lot of the, the, the repercussions that are happening in like public schools, like the Loudoun County kind of fiasco that happened in the US. Um, what do you think will be the kind of predominant luxury belief that comes next? Do you have any idea of what might be coming on the horizon? What might, because to gain status, you have to keep, you know, you have to keep at the, the tip of the spear, you have to be the mm-hmm. pinnacle. So now if it's not being transgender, that's become more or less normalized. Something else will mm-hmm. have to kind of arise to take its place it, to status signal with. Even being, be, even being gay is considered terribly boring at this point, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe transgenderism will be well, like outdated and crusty are, in 20 yeah. years' time. Gay people are like the straight people of the LGBT yes, alliance. Yes, <laughs> But yes, go on. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that's, yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 that, I mean that, that's right. It, there, it, it's akin to fashion where um, luxury beliefs are akin to fashion uh, such that, you know, when you hold a certain belief and then it becomes sort of the uh, prevailing popular opinion, especially among sort of other sort of ed- highly educated elites, mm. the sort of chattering class, then, you know, if you're on the vanguard of that social strata, then the way you gain status is by, you know, suddenly abandoning that belief and going on to the next one. You know, this code is in this season, mm. but this code is going to be in the next season. Become so ad- addicted to radicalization. I think there's, yeah, there's yes. a sort of ongoing churn. Yes. Uh, but as far as predictions, man, so, so I, like I said, I, I coined this idea in, in late 2019. And I, if you had asked me then, like, I, I never would have um, answered, uh, never would have guessed that 
you know, within a few months, uh, the uh, chattering classes, the, the cultural elites would suddenly be calling for defunding the police. Mm -hmm. Like that would have never mm -hmm. even like entered. You know, I would have had maybe five or, or five or ten or, or twenty mm -hmm. guesses before that <laughs> entered. Yes. Uh, and so it's yeah, it's difficult for me to, to make predictions about what might come next. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to you if either of you have thoughts on. Oh this, my gosh! So. Well, I think one of the, one of the, the most um, amusing but infuriating phenomenon of the last sort of ever since sort of the Great Awakening of 2015 is that all of the most sort of doom-laden predictions made by conservatives 20 years ago, 30 years ago about how, you know, um, social norms are going down, going down the drain and, um, you know, uh, in, in 20 years' time people will be calling for this, we'll be calling for that. I mean, I can guar almost guarantee you that if someone, like, give an example, if, if, a, if a sort of a very fervent um, uh, Christian evangelical like Billy Graham, for example, in the 1980s, had been saying that in in 40 years' time, Joe Biden and the Democrats would be advocate f full on advocating for you know mutilating yeah. children's bodies, transing the kids. He would have been dismissed as a sort of a, a demented conspiracy theorist. Um, and uh, yet today, you know, even what seemed at the time perhaps like the most demented predictions of paranoid demented predictions made by conservatives in the past all of a sudden um, coming to fruition. Like Joe Biden would have laughed that out of the room only six years ago, and yet now he says that it's, it is a sin for you know governors like uh, Ron DeSantis, and I forget the name of the, the Texas governor, um, but you know to be putting, to be basically criminalizing this, uh, yeah, mutilating, these mutilating practices. Transgender people shape the, the soul of America, which yeah. is somehow something I don't think he thought when he was 70, now that, he's, now that he's 78. No, not, not in his house in youth. But I think, um, and I could definitely be wrong about this, but, you know, I see kind of a lot of the transgender movement as like an attack on kind of fundamental reality. I mean, it's all the way down to, to, to men and women, people like even in journals like Nature, like denying, you know, that there's a, a sexual binary based on like extreme edge cases. So I don't really know if there's much farther to go. I mean, unless people are going to be like transspeciation, I think um, it was a Doja Cat dressed up as like, uh, like some sort of like animal hybrid thing for the Met Gala. Mm. But I think what it'll more likely be, and I think when I was asking the question about kind of the, the escalating ideologies on, on the right, will be a more explicit abandonment of like classical liberal values from the left and not in a sort of communistic fashion which is left-wing and but also explicitly not liberal but from people who would be more traditionally kind of like quote classically liberal i think you see this now on the right you see like kind of a, a return of monarchism uh mm. last week we talked about with sebastian milbank um <coughs> something like 60% of young people in this country would endorse like a very strong leader. Hmm. Now it might be a very strong leader to move the kind of green agenda forward. Exactly. Yes. Um, on the right, it would probably be a very strong leader to tear down all the windmills or something yeah, like this. But it, but it, st it still signals an, impatient with an impatience, a fundamental impatience among the young with classical yeah. liberalism, yeah, which, they, which they found basically to be morally empty because well, it, it, I it think tells them to be, to, 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 it, it tells them fundamentally to, con to consider themselves or to think of themselves as sort of Know, atomistic individuals and, and like once you're sort of reduced to a sort of an atomistic scrap of paper in that way you become incredibly vulnerable to the prevailing ideological headwinds because you, all of a sudden you want to be you know, wrapped up in, 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 in something larger than yourself that's sure, something, sure. All human, something all human beings want and so people love being part of crowds but I yes. also think too that COVID kind of wet a lot of beaks and people realized that um, it was fun to kind of be able to impose these rules if they were a part of it mm. or if they were kind of ambivalent um, that it didn't actually bother them all that much. Mm. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people 
fundamentally realize that, you know, we didn't get to vote on any sort of COVID restrictions and people were actually more or less okay with that. Obviously, mm. not many of the viewers of this show and not myself, but on, <coughs> on average in the country, and especially in this country compared to America, yeah. it, it was okay. So I think a more explicit rejection of kind of liberal freedom is probably what's coming up next. So this uh, maybe more overt support for whatever your chosen flavor of authoritarianism is, mm -hmm. whether for the left or for the right, Oh, that's interesting. And yeah. I think what makes it a, a luxury belief is mm. because this will be the sort of chattering elite class who will still have the maximum amount of freedom that they have now, yeah. but it will be the underclass which is then cracked down on by the like beachcombing mm. police or, yeah. or, I mean, use any sort of COVID metaphor you want, mm. who will actually you know suffer the punishment. Interesting. Is there any evidence that? So I, I gave some sort of uh, examples from the news that the Ron DeSantis sending that. Uh, Sending that you know, train of illegal migrants to Martha's Vineyard, but is there any evidence that's like more sort of like comprehensive, I suppose, social science data sh proving that uh, uh, people abandon luxury beliefs once they start reaping the consequences themselves? Could there be, I mean, a reversion to no normality that's just you know sooner or later rea reality catches up with fantasy and reality reasserts itself, and you know th th this will just seem like a like a like a bad dream, or is is that far too optimistic? Uh, I <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> I mean, it's it's probably a bit optimistic. Um, I mean, uh, one one uh, one example that that comes to mind is the sort of brief. So so in the early 1960s, there was this very brief um, uh, uh, wave of anti-marriage sentiment among mm. elites, among college-educated mm. people, and divorces spiked. They were actually higher in the 1970s than they are now, mm. and a lot of a lot of the divorces were being filed by um, sort of upper middle class and upper class people in America. Mm. Uh, but then by the, I think by the late 1980s, uh, for the upper classes, they had actually um, uh, um, spiked again. Like basically their divorces declined and they started getting married and staying married again. Yes. And it was as if there was this sort of protracted, maybe 10 or 15 year period where they had this sort of, uh, you know, sexual uh, freedom and, and promiscuity prevailed. And then they sort of recognized the error of their ways mm. and then returned to um, the sort of normalcy of marriage. But for the lower classes, they stopped getting married mm. and embraced uh, uh, sexual freedom and, and premarital sex, and they never recovered. And mm. in fact, they continue to sort of deteriorate. And mm. they've sort of flatlined now. But it's you know, if you visit any sort of poor working class neighborhood in the U.S. or the U.K. for that matter, it's yes. uh, it's an anomaly to find a children being raised by both of mm. their parents. Um, so I think you know, there potentially. It, it can work, um, but without the sort of social and cultural guardrails, um, once they've been dismantled, it's very hard to sort of uh, re reconstruct them. Especially when the elite doesn't want to take on the burden of moral leadership mm. and what doesn't want to set a moral example in the way that old aristocracies would. So I think what you're saying there about how everyone in the 60s went a little bit nuts, I think that's mm. widely known. We're talking about, again, we're talking, I think, about mainly about social science data in America, though I'm sure it's sort of that's transposable into Britain as well. Mm. But Charles Murray in his book Coming Apart talks about this, doesn't right. he? How, how, and then all of a sudden, you know, people in, in, the, in, in the sort of minority elite segment of American society, as you say, they realized the error of their ways and they became, you know, solid, upstanding, bourgeois, you know, mm. family oriented citizens again. Uh, yet they didn't feel as b being fundamentally, as I say, as you were saying earlier, being fundamentally liberals and thinking that true meaning <coughs> is to be found in sort of individual self-actualization, they didn't mm. feel as though it was their role as an elite mm. to set a moral example 
to the rest of the population. Do you, do you think it's important for elites to do that? Well, they still, I mean, they kind of, they, they, they do. But just not, they, on the right, not in the right well, way. Well, <laughs> I think, like, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting, like, they, they, they don't, um, they don't consider themselves to be exemplars for any kind of, like, conventional or traditional morality. Yeah. They're not going to tell people to get married, but they, they're happy to tell people to do other things. Of course, you know, like, yes. You know, or, like, wear a mask or yes. what have you, right? Like, they no, will sort of uh, take on the, 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 the moral banner mm. for other kinds of movements, but for... You know, they, what is the, I don't know who actually originated this phrase that I really like. It's, uh, they, you know, they, they walk the 50s and talk the 60s. Nice. And so they are, they're nice. talking the 60s, right? right? They're, they're telling you about the benefits of indi mm. individual freedom and, uh, and uh, the sort of non-judgmental attitude, yes. in, at least in the realm of sort of conventional moral values. Yes. But then for, for other topics like, um, uh, you know, uh, t tolerance or climate, admonishing people not to be racist. Like right. we, we, we need DEI, so we, we need DEI so we can deprogram right. your problematic right. pathologies that you right. hold. You have to like support the yeah. sort of social movements of yes. the day, and if you don't, then you're sort of uh, your, your soul is suspect. Yes. And so yeah, I, I didn't mean know. to say. That, yes, you're right. I didn't mean to say that, that the modern elite, what Matt Goodwin is increasingly calling the new elite in the context mm. of Britain, is there's not a sort of moralizing energy to the way in which they. You know, take up the burdens of leadership, but as it, it's sort of. An, I like the. They talk the fifties and no, they they they, they, they talk. Walk the they walk the fifties and they talk the sixties. Yeah, yeah. um, it's and you could also invert that. It's not. It, it's always said. Practice what you preach. Well, mm. preach what you practice as well. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're living as I say. Um, in, in many cases, obviously, you know, but but in, if we're talking about broad social science data, I mean, what, what kind of thing? What are the exact practices that the elite is doing, which it is not feeling? Um, the, the responsibility to transmit more broadly. So mm -hmm. obviously family formation and, mm -hmm. and monogamy are, are important mm -hmm. ones, but there must be others as well. well. I mean, all of the sort of, um, you know, all, all, all of these sort of habits and behaviors and customs that reliably lead to healthy and flourishing and successful lives that also create the conditions of safety and security for, mm -hmm. for young children. Uh, yeah, so, so, so marriage, hard work, you know, doing the right thing, uh, yeah, industriousness, honesty, Thrift, um, impulse control, mm. yeah, all of those things—they—they uh, they will create excuses for everyone else mm. why they can't adhere to yeah. those uh, principles. But then, for themselves and their own children, they would never. Uh, except, you know, I, 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 there's a story I've told before about how I had a, I had a friend in high school yes. um, who uh, he could have been recruited to play football for a state university. But he was failing one of his classes. He had to attend this makeup class uh, for for spring break. You know, instead of going on vacation, he had to attend this two week class. Um, and he went for three days, and then he stopped. And then he come. He, he, he decided to hang out with me and all of our other stupid friends and smoking weed and doing other stupid things instead of going to class. I told this story to a, a student at Cambridge uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and her response was. Well, like, if that's who he was and that's who, what he wanted to do, like, you know, maybe that's, you know, like, maybe he was happier doing that. Yes. Uh, maybe that's just who he was. And mm. I, I asked, uh, you know, I asked her, well, what if that was your son? Mm. You know, mm. like, what if your son was failing a class? All he had to do was attend a makeup class. And that was the sort of uh, deciding factor for whether he would mm. attend university and go play football or mm. live a completely different life. And she said, oh, I would have forced him to go to class every day. Course, and if yeah. he didn't, I would have threatened to kill him. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, yeah. so if it's my friends, if it's me and my friends screwing up our mm. lives, you know, oh, that's okay. Then maybe that's just who they are. But if it's your mm. son and your family and people you care about, suddenly you're going to hold them to very rigid, mm. high standards of behavior. And I think that's a sort of a, an example of like the attitude mm. of uh, sort of the general elite. Yes. Just, um, you know, for us, high standards, but for everyone else, we're going to make excuses yes. for you. And there's a very sort of... Uh, a damaging conflation of uh, 
if affirmation with, with with charity because I mean often in life as as your friend realized when was it was when uh, she well he when he was talking in the context of his own child he realizes is it, oh, your friend was a young woman young woman sorry she realizes that you know correction mm-hmm. and discipline can be extremely extremely loving things mm-hmm. to, to to do when, she, when, right. when there's that sort of natural bond yeah. of, of kinship yet when it's just some um, you know abstract yeah, yeah, abstract yeah. side yeah. someone else someone else where it's sort of there's this conflation as i say of being charitable with just affirming people's worst um most uh, sort of corrosive tendencies in their lives and that's yes yeah. that's not that's not something w- which uh, and and every con- every society has an elite and it is important that they don't only set standards by behaving in certain fashions but also make sure that those fashions to the extent that they're healthy and to the extent that they reinforce human flourishing and allow the sort of the social organism to sort of persist through time to make sure that they are you know practiced in in a, in, a, in a widespread fashion bringing it on to natcon if i may well go Can on, I go on make your point just quickly. a bit um, of a, a left turn question here before we jump into that rob a bit mm-hmm. of a personal one too um, you know i did a lot of stupid things and smoked a lot of weed myself in high school and then somehow weirdly found up in the position that I'm, I'm in now, which, which is very different than anybody who I kind of hung out with and, and back in those years, like kind of pre-20, uh, is doing. And it's not something that they're ever really able to kind of, when I do talk to those people, um, kind of wrap their head around. It's, it's just kind of alien to them. A mm-hmm. um, lot of guys that I know went into the military. Uh, my dad tried to push me into going to the military for a very long time. Uh, do you find when you talk to people from kind of like that era, do, do you find that there's like almost a, an impossible gap to bridge? Like you can't even fully explain what you're doing. I mean, maybe this is just mm. a, a limit of my explanatory powers, but in eight years I've gone, you know, for, into such a wildly different environment that they don't understand what going to a convention like NACON even means. Like they would never mm. consider doing it. Yeah. Um, whereas like, you know, I still have like very fond memories and don't feel of the things that we did together and don't feel like I've actually sort of progressed or changed all that much fundamentally, you know, in terms of maybe my, 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 my character or just who I, who I fundamentally am when I was with them, but there's now this massive gulf. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think that gulf that can arise even if you come out of those areas is the same sort of thing that your friend can't possibly kind of wrap her head around where it's, mm-hmm. there's that, I don't know, you know, socioeconomic is even that's a little too imprecise um but that's why there is that kind of sense of like looking down of like oh that's that's just what they what they want to do do you do you feel have you found that with your friends and how have you kind of navigated that kind of moving from one sphere into a very different one yeah i mean there is a large chasm and you know i i often uh yeah i often find myself now in a position of trying to explain the experiences of people with, I mean, especially nowadays, you know, sort of worse, you know, my, my friends that I grew up with, like worse lives than mine, you know, I have to explain that experience to people who've had very different experiences, who've had sort of better mm-hmm. lives than mine. Uh, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's been difficult for me, you know, I, I still talk to some of my friends from, from, from back home from high school and, you know, like, you know, they've seen me, they see me, you know, do, do, do podcasts like this and talk to people. And I think like, they, they think it's cool and interesting, but it's just, it's sort of outside of their reality. They, you know, they, they ask, you know, they ask very few questions about it too. And I'm not going to talk about it unless they want me to. And we usually stick to sort of personal topics or things uh, related to our shared experiences from when we were kids. And, 
Um, but yeah, when I try to communicate it, that was, you know, it's, it's just a challenge. You know, one thing that I try to do in my writing and my Substack and you know, Twitter and stuff. You should, call, you should uh, plug your Substack quickly. What, what, oh, how, sure, how can yeah. people find it? Yeah, just uh, uh, robkhenderson.substack.com. You just Google, you know. You need to, to be it. need to be mercenary at times. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, that's something I, that I try to do with writing is to sort of tr do my best to capture that experience and, and to, to share it with people. But yeah, there is that. It, I mean, I think it's, it's unbridgeable to some extent, mm. uh, but I do I do the best I can to, to to share it and and that you know even if you've had wildly different experiences and different sets of opportunities and so on, you know people are still human beings and they still exercise some amount of choice mm. in their lives mm. and I mean you can sort of see it with uh, you know, maybe with cases like yours and mine Evan about like we came from very different environments and now we let ourselves here somehow so it's not like if you're born into a certain set of um, circumstances, material, cultural, otherwise—that that is your destiny forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there are there are choices you can make to improve your lives, but you know, the people who sort of lead uh, the shaping of the culture mm -hmm. and who get to determine like what ideas people are thinking about and talking about and what standards we hold ourselves to—if they're going to decide that um, you know, that 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 uh, uh, successful habits aren't important, then mm -hmm. you're just going to see fewer people who exit those those uh, dire circumstances. To, 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 to tap on that, sorry, to tap on that, um, do you think, because I know you spent some time in, in the American military, mm -hmm. and I, um, through great fortune and a really good friend, um, basically wound up being a, a firefighter for like my early 20s mm -hmm. uh, in Canada, and that taught me a lot. It was very sort of elucidating about, you know, the kind of places I didn't want to go and what it was going to take to kind of, you know, um, be in the places that I was aiming towards. Do you think that the military was a, a, a good avenue for you to kind of break out of that mold? And would you, would you advise young people now to sign up for the, the British or the American military? Um, well, it's funny. I, uh, I had dinner with someone the other day who asked me, asked me this question about his, his son, and this person expressed some uh, concern about the, 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 the American military specifically because of the sort of political correctness and mm -hmm. the ideology that's permeating U.S. institutions. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I joined at a very different time. I joined uh, at the end of, this is 2007. Um, this was the height of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars where like, you know, when, when, when a country's in war, like suddenly, uh, like serious training takes priority over trying to indoctrinate the troops into believing in some kind of uh, fashionable dogma. And so it was just a different time, it was a different era. Uh, I mean, for me personally, like all I can say is that for me personally, it was extremely beneficial. Um, and it helped me to, to sort of redirect my life trajectory away from where I was. I mean, I, I sort of joined out of, you know, for multiple reasons, but one was just the desperation of where I was living and trying mm -hmm. to get out of there. Um, you know, I was 17, like I, you know, I was so, I didn't even know what job I chose really. Like I had some vague sense of what it would be, but it was more just like, you know, I, whatever is available, I just need to get out of here. And so, right after high school, I left. Now, um, I, I think as a, I, I want to say, like as long as you know what you're getting into. But I didn't know what I was getting into, and it worked uh, for me. So yeah, if uh, I, I would, although it's also a different time, 2007, the internet existed, and I, I looked it up a little, but I was so unfocused and unprepared, and just sort of scatterbrained that I didn't even think like maybe I should look up what basic training is going to be like now you know you can go on like reddit and mm. like all these pages and you can just see like people describe what to expect you know what the structure will be like uh, what the you know maybe, maybe how much politics has infected the the institutions so I guess if you're a young kid and you're thinking about it just like do your homework know what to expect and get you know do do the best you can to advance but um, yeah, just to mm. at least try to know what, what you're getting into. If very quickly we can bring it into into a sort of 
British political context, you, we, we, we've basically we've, we've got this, this framework in which we have these elites and we have the rest of society. And while the elites are sort of safe and sound in, the, in their own sort of life, life rafts of virtue, mm. everyone else is sort of drowning in a sea of moral relativism that the, the, the elites themselves don't do anything to try and redeem. Uh, so that's the sort of situation we have. And I was very interested yesterday, I, I found most of the, uh, so we're, we're at, at the National Conservatism Conference at the moment, I found most of the uh, Tory MP speakers incredibly disappointing. I, well, not disappointing, because I wasn't expecting a huge amount in the first place, but I, you know, I wasn't impressed. But there, I, I was very impressed, I must say, by Miriam Cates, who seems to be um, uh, attacking that, that sort of, that, that mentality. Um, so for example, she gave a very good uh, speech on the need to boost Britain's fertility rates and of, of course you know the, the, the classical liberal formulation would say well who, whose business is it, what business <coughs> is it of a government minister to to say that people should be having more children that involves um, that, that, that involves the imposition of a certain standard on the rest of society and as we know uh, there are no shared substantive moral goods on, on the liberal um, hypothesis people pursue their own goods uh, that's uh, and obviously Miriam Capes was pointing out yesterday that that can lead to a situation in which the whole damn society cannot sustain itself because conservatism, the thing that distinguishes conservatism from liberalism is that it's about, yes, freedom plays a role, but it's about making sure that the sort of the behaviors and practices, norms and customs that are necessary for a social organism to maintain itself through time intergenerationally to make sure that those don't suffer, um, that those are not corroded by a sort of, you know, race to the bottom in standards. What do you think, so Miriam Case gave, gave a very good speech on that. Uh, what, what, broadly speaking, what do you think we, the right, we on the right can do better, just to finish up, what do you think we on the right can do better to make, sh to, to sort of, to puncture um, the, the, the logic of, of people who believe in, in luxury beliefs and, and, and really to see those expensive, to see those cheap illusions mm. shatter? Well, so, so one thing on the, on the point of the fertility, as you were speaking, something that just occurred to me, which is that governments already do sort of take a, a political stance on the fertility uh, debate because uh, they will often uh, supply um, contraception, uh, contraception of course, right. and abortion and mm -hmm. so on. And so, and, and if a politician were to sort of uh, describe how we need to actually have fewer children because of the climate and so on, I suspect Absolutely. a lot of the people no, who are currently right. decrying, you know, the, the you know the, the politicians talking about the fertility crisis would would be in support of it. On the mm -hmm. other hand, so it's it doesn't really seem to be about um, fertility or neutrality. It, it's really about. Mm -hmm. um, Trying to reduce the population that seems yeah, to be yeah th 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 you're right and, there was a sort of to take this sort of anti-family anti-children where it was is this anti-natalist like, there's a moralistic anti-natalist yeah, strain right, to, to, to right. contemporary leftism particularly right. on the climate issue <coughs> yes but yeah. but 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 in any case what so yeah. Miriam Case gave a good speech yeah. right, which I thought was excellent everyone should, yeah. should check it out um, mm. what can we do to shatter those very yeah. I was going to say expensive yeah. illusions but of course the whole point is they're very cheap they don't cost yeah. much in, for, for you anyway yeah. they cost a lot for the society well I mean I think I think there are a couple of things and you know I I don't know how effective they would be, but a starting point might be to um, to actually uh, e e either, I mean, ideally communicate directly with people mm. who might um, be uh, the, the recipients or bear the burdens of uh, uh, newfangled ideas mm. and luxury beliefs. I think, you know, barring that, I mean, like a lot of a lot of people who've gone to expensive universities have never even had a twenty-minute conversation with someone who hasn't attended uh, university of some kind or sure, another. Sure. But or to to read about the experiences of other people, start and try, try to try to learn about what life is like uh, for for people who. I uh, haven't had all of the sort of material advantages that you've had. I mean, there are a lot of, I, and, and I know, like, 
you can. I, I could easily imagine someone hearing that and then deciding to read, you know, some some journalist expose about, uh, you know, like through through the lens of some kind of ideology sure. about how actually what we need is mass economic redistribution mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Yeah. But I think also there's this sort of the cultural piece, and that's what I'd like people to sort of pay attention to is like, okay, there's the economic issue. You know, I you know, acknowledge that's important, but also the cultural issue of, you know, what happens when when policies and beliefs and ideas sort of and, and fashionable opinions. Uh, actually seep into policy and 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 attitudes and I think like the defund the police example is a good one like read about the experiences of someone in a low-income high crime area and how things have changed in their neighborhood since uh, 2020 and then sort of reconsider what you believed and then also um, to sort of extend that to to other examples as well mm -hmm. that if you hear some new and provocative idea to really sort of think about the second order consequences mm -hmm. and and really reflect I mean I think you have a duty like you know some people have accused me of oh, the luxury beliefs idea you're sort of accusing people of holding malicious intent like they're actively trying to hurt other people but you think it's well intentioned yeah, yeah. I, think, I think for a small segment of people they actually do hold uh, malicious uh, intent but I think the vast majority they're just sort of going along to get along you know they just mm -hmm. say the things that they need to say to, to, to receive status everyone's uh, doing it because everyone's doing it sort of right thing. Yeah. but but um, I think that if if you occupy, you know, the, if you're sort of at or near the apex of society, mm -hmm. then you have a duty to really sort of think through um, what the, the potential consequences will be mm -hmm. of your uh, beliefs and opinions and uh, the, the things that you support. Um, to wrap up, Ma Margaret Thatcher famously said, I don't want to get too Thatcher right, but Margaret Thatcher famously said that uh, the facts of life are conservative and you, what conservatives need to do is better draw attention to those, to those facts so that the illusions can shatter that way. Well, uh, thanks as ever, Jen, uh, thanks as ever, Evan, for, for, for coming on. And thank you as well, Rob. Uh, it's been fascinating talking to you. Right. You've been watching Deprogrammed. We shall see you on the next one. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, May I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.